Uh, they won't be for a couple of weeks. They're on a uh, on a vacation in Alaska, so pray for their safety of travel. Just pray they'll enjoy their time away. Well, the title of our lesson this morning is Church Checkup. Our family theme is God's Word to the Church. Our objective is that we would listen uh, and obey uh, what Jesus says to the churches, to overcome persecution, to make sure we overcome false teaching, but also that we might overcome temptation. By the way, who, who faces temptation? Everybody does, so that's important, and all of it is. We'll be in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 this morning. Three key truths. Number one, uh, faithful believers overcome persecution. Second of all, faithful believers overcome false teaching. And the third key truth is faithful believers overcome temptation. Under our Bible basis this morning, the question we're going to deal with real quick is, uh, what is heaven? What is heaven? Say it again. Amen. It's God's home. In fact, uh, Psalm 11.4 says this, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. So that's exactly. But who else's home going to be there one day? Yes, indeed, without a doubt, those who know Jesus Christ, it'll be our, our home as well. In fact, Paul, when he wrote the letter to the church of Corinth, he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So it's that, that's the hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. So where does today's lesson uh, fit in the overall scope of God's Word? Of course, you know, uh, once you get to Revelation, what's the next book of the Bible? It's the end of the book of the, of the Bible, right? And so uh, most scholars believe that John wrote this probably somewhere uh, in the mid-90s, uh, 80s, 90s, in that area there. And, of course, uh, certainly uh, John was the only disciple we know of that didn't die a martyr's death. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and we're not sure if he ever was able to leave that or not. But nonetheless, that's when he wrote uh, this uh, book of Revelation, uh, of course, it begins by addressing uh, seven churches. Uh, let's get do I get started this morning. Um, <laughs> anybody here ever go to the doctor? You went last week, okay? I went to the eye doctor last week and a few months ago. Why do you go? Okay. Now, did, did, does anybody here go, uh, how should I put it, on a regular basis? I don't mean every day, but maybe a couple times a year. <laughs> You're, you, don't, you don't count, Brother Mike. You go a lot more than I realize you do. But really, even a routine checkup is, is for what reason? Yeah, to check you out. Now, I, I always tell people, I wasn't sick till I went to the doctor. <laughs> At least I didn't think I was. And then I, I told her a few months ago when I went to her, I said something about, all you want to do is tell me I'm fat. And she said, I never said that. I said, I know you didn't say it, but you're thinking it. But, but you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but we go there, and, and Dan, you're right, to find out, make sure uh, if anything is wrong. And certainly, uh, if there is, it's better to catch it early in a lot of cases than it is uh, to catch it late. So regular checkups are certainly beneficial. But today, our goal is how Jesus uh, gave a checkup uh, to his churches. Now, again, chapter 2 and 3, uh, John records uh, the words that Christ has for seven churches in Asia. 
These were literal historic churches. And, uh, but also, you'll notice he's writing to and speaking to individual pastors who represented each of these churches. And as you go through and read the different uh, message to each church, uh, you'll find sort of a, a formula there for the most part. Uh, first of all, uh, some of them will identify a particular strength, uh, except for the church of Laodicea, they had no good strength. Uh, also, it may identify a weakness the church had, and only two churches, uh, Smyrna and Philadelphia, had no weaknesses, or at least mentioned. But also, there'll be uh, some instruction given that they need to follow, a warning if they don't, okay? But also, is a promise for those who overcome. So again, these are seven literal historic churches. Now, also understand, and we'll see the pattern here in these seven churches. As we think about these churches, each one had a reputation. But also it's important that no matter what the church is, whether it's then or now, churches are made up of individual Christians. So, again, even though Christ is speaking to the church as a whole, it's important for you and I today as individual Christians. We can learn from what the warnings are here, and hopefully we will listen and obey those warnings. <coughs> Excuse me. Our first key truth is that faithful believers overcome persecution. And we've got several verses to read this morning. Uh, first of all, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. All right, uh, also uh, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Chapter 3, verses 10 through 12.
Interesting. Now, first of all, uh, some of these we've picked up in the middle of. We'll get more of it a little later on. But we're looking at persecution right now. And uh, I just want to point out a couple of things. Now, I realize John is writing, but please note who is speaking, okay? Uh, go to uh, chapter 2 uh, of Revelation, verse 8. It says, To the angel of the church of Smyrna write, uh, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. Who is that? It's Jesus, okay? So Jesus is the one speaking. Uh, again, uh, go to chapter 2, verses 12, and uh, let's look at there again. Uh, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write these things, saith he, which hath the sharp sword with two edges. So who is that? It's Jesus. Because okay? so we know Christ is speaking to these churches. Now, again, we're looking at, at persecution. And <clears throat> in the first section, in verses 8 through 10 of chapter 2, it's the, uh, the pastor at Smyrna which happened to be Polycarp. We'll mention him a little more later on. And in chapter 12, 2, verses 12 and 13, uh, we see uh, this is the, the pastor or the, or the bishop at the Church of Pergamos. Uh, I don't know we know for sure who that was at that time. And then in chapter 3, even though it's not mentioned in these two verses, it is previously, it is the Church of uh, Philadelphia. But what's interesting, all three of these uh, sections uh, talk about uh, persecution. Now, first of all, why would they, you think that Christ would bring up persecution? Absolutely. And it's going to happen today, too, right? And, and so it was a, a common uh, threat for every one of those churches, and it's, it's true today as well. <clears throat> and, uh, again, that part of the world in that time, in that culture, uh, they were caught up in a lot of idol worship. And it was true wherever they went. Uh, so they had a local deity that was often worshipped, but also during that period of history, it, it was a uh, sort of a standard in society. You actually also worshipped whoever the Roman emperor was because they claimed to be a god. Now, for those who were Christians, when it came to worshipping, say, a local deity or the emperor, what would, what would their response probably be? Or should have been? Say it again, Cheryl. You sound pretty emphatic about that. But you're right. And they would refuse to worship, whether it be a local deity or the emperor himself. So how do you think that would set with those around them? Not well at all. I'm reminded again, uh, as, I, as we go through this today, did you know there's always somebody who wants to report you? Isn't that true? Uh, thinking back to the days of Daniel when they didn't bow down, what did they do? They run to the king, say, King, you got to listen to what they, what they didn't do. Same was true, uh, in the New Testament times and certainly true today as well. Now, so, a lot of things were going on and it didn't matter which Cheryl, you're right, they would refuse to worship these false idols and they would refuse to worship, uh, the emperors. It's interesting, we're not going to turn to this morning, but in, in Acts chapter 19, uh, Paul is at, at Ephesus and because of the gospel, a lot of the people destroyed their uh, shrines of Diana or Artemis, whichever you know, the name it went by, and it made the silversmith mad. Why? Yeah, that cost him money. Of course, you know, Paul was driven uh, from Ephesus because of that. But also, when Paul got to Thessalonica in Acts 17, the Jews that did not believe couldn't wait to report him. 
Here's what he is doing. Now, here's something we probably don't think of too often because we are relatively, uh, for the most part, we don't suffer severe persecution like went on in the early church or is going on in the latter part of our world even today. But the bottom line is there's never been a time in church history where the church was not persecuted somewhere across this world. Now, folks, please remember, if we claim Christ as Savior, the church will stand out and the world will not like us. Now, what's interesting is, did Jesus warn us about this? Yeah. He said, now, wait a minute. They hated me, so guess what? They're going to hate you. You might as well get used to it. They didn't like me. They are not going to like you. In fact, he said in, in John 16, verse 33, he said, In this world you will have tribulation. Now, by the way, did he water that down? No. He made it extremely clear. Now, again, even though we don't see it in the part of the world we live in, at least not yet, uh, today, in different parts of our world, there is violent persecution going on for the church. There are a lot of countries in our world today, if you publicly confess Christ as your Savior, it's almost as good as signing your death warrant. They are going to take your life. And, you know, every time I think about that, I, I pray, Lord, help me to stand true. Because we have got it so easy here in America. And I have to wonder uh, how many churches would empty out pretty quick if persecution began like it did even those days. So we have to understand it happens across our world. But even in our nation, where we particularly have, for the most part, uh, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, uh, we have to understand even now we can face ridicule, discrimination. But here's the great news. The promise that God, that Jesus made to the churches here in Revelation that those who overcome will receive an eternal reward. How many know that promise is still true today? It is still true today. Now, two of the churches that you just read about, Dan, uh, that had no negative statement was Smyrna and Philadelphia. And uh, one of them, according to verse 10 of chapter 2, uh, would suffer an extended period of tribulation. And, of course, it says 10 days. But the other one says, according to chapter 3, verse 10, uh, they would be protected from whatever trial the rest of the world would face. Now, again, I don't pretend to understand all of that. Why would God allow one to go through persecution and protect another one? Why would he do that? Thank you. Wayne, I love that answer. And that's the only right answer. Because he is God and he can do whatever he wants. Now, by the way, I will make a footnote here. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. Uh, there are some who would uh, apply that to the end of the times, uh, saying that the church, when it said, would be protected uh, from that hour of temptation, means the church won't go through the tribulation. Uh, now, even though I don't think that the church will go through it, in my opinion, uh, I don't think 
think that verse is good enough to base that theology on. But nonetheless, I like what you said, Wayne. God does what he wants to do because he is God. And by the way, who knows best? God knows what is best. Now, I mentioned earlier, uh, Polycarp uh, was the pastor of the church of Smyrna. Uh, he was a disciple of the Apostle John. And uh, if you know anything about uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, he's listed in there, of course. He's one of the um, more famous martyrs of the church from uh, Roman uh, pr- uh, persecution. Now, uh, I don't know if you ever read about Polycarp, but he was a, a, a certainly a unique fellow. And they came after him. He was 86 years old. And uh, they had already executed one of the elders of the church of Smyrna. And then they came after uh, Polycarp. And he hid for a little while. And they tortured one of the members of the church to finally find out where he was at. And he decided, you know what, I'm not going to run and hide anymore. Uh, whatever God wants, I'm ready to face it. And so uh, they had him in an arena. And they tried to get him to denounce Christianity, uh, to utterly refute it, and he refused to do that. And uh, they said, the guy in church, we got some wild animals here. Uh, Polycarp said, let them loose. No, let them loose. Well, finally they got so angry, uh, they built, uh, a, a, I guess, a pile of brush or a pyre to burn a body on. And they were going to nail him to that pile of wood, so he, or that whatever it was, so he couldn't run away. He said, you don't need to nail me here. I've got nowhere else to go. And what's interesting, as soon as they lit that, whatever it was, wood, brush, whatever, I mean, it, it, it instantly burst up in flames. And to their amazement, now hold on, the flames never touched him. It formed an arc and went around him. Made the executioner so angry, he literally took his own uh, dagger and stabbed Polycarp until he died. And according to the letter, the church wrote, I guess it's still extant, I'm not sure, but they still, they have copies of it, evidently, or they, at least I saw some on the internet. The blood put out the fire. Now, he, of course, he died from stabbing. But what a man to be able to stand and say, you know what? I'm not going to back down. He said, I've served him for 86 years, and I'm not going to quit now. And i got to tell you, when I read that story, I thought, Lord, help me to have that kind of faith. Help me to stand. Folks, it's easy to say that right here, isn't it? We're not facing death. We're not facing what he faced or others face as well. But again, (laughs) and here's what's interesting. When they came to arrest him, He ordered that food be brought for these soldiers. He fed them. And then before they finally lit that fire, he prayed for two hours for them and for the church. What a faithful man he was. But here's the thing we have to realize. The only way any of us could go through that type of persecution is the same way Polycarp did. And that's by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God. But also understand, Polycarp had the assurance that even if he left this world, if they burned him at that brush by whatever they had, he had the assurance from God's word 
that he had a crown of life waiting for him. And folks, it's true for us as well. May God give us the grace to endure that kind of persecution. Any comment or question about that? Any comment or question? Folks, God is good all the time, and we've got to remember that. Now, by the way, um, you'll see it several times in the book of Revelation, actually about eight times, uh, was a crown. It was really this, the Greek word was stephanos, and it was a crown of honor. Not uh, of a king, but a, a crown of honor. Um, it was sort of the Olympic-style wreath, and it was made out of some type of plant or flowers, maybe. Uh, but the problem with that kind of crown, what do you think happened to it after some time went by? Yeah, it did. It dried up and fell apart. But also, the one who who won that crown of honor, and, there, and, and by the way, I don't want to take away from the honor. It was, it was an honorable thing to, to win those kind of crowns. But even the one who won that crown, for whatever feat they may have done, what would happen to them later on? They're going to fall apart too. I remember years ago hearing uh, Dr. James Dawson uh, share this testimony. And when he was at USC, I think uh, when he graduated, he was the top tennis player there uh, they ever had. I don't know what all they did, but he said they put a trophy in the main lobby of a certain building with my name on it, that I'd won this uh, prestigious honor. And I don't know how many years it had gone by. And of course, uh, he went back to his alma mater. He said, I went to look at that, for that trophy, and I found out it wasn't there. And I asked somebody, what happened to it? They said, well, we threw it in a dumpster so many years ago. You know why? Somebody else came along and broke that record. You see, so the Stephanos, it would fade away. It was just temporary. But what about the crown of life? It'll never fade away. It will never, ever, ever fade away. So eight different times in the book of Revelation, when you read about a crown, it is a Stephanos. But also three different times in Revelation, uh, you'll find the word diadem used. In chapter 12, in chapter 13, and chapter 19 as well. And the diadem was a crown of royalty. And what's interesting, uh, that crown of royalty that was mentioned was worn by three different beings. One was the beast, one was the dragon, and one was Christ. What happened to the beast and the dragon? They were cast out. They were cast down. You know why? There's only one King of Kings and one Lord of Lords. But folks, remember this. You and I, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, and only because of his blood, we have a crown of life that will never, ever, thank God, fade away. Any comment or question about that? Any comment or question? So let's apply it. It's very simple. It's important that we remain faithful even when persecution comes. So in the way of discussion then, how should you and I as Christians, how should we respond to persecution? What should be our response? Be 
Sure they did. They still praised God. In fact, you read it in the New... They were thankful to be considered worthy to suffer persecution for God. Did they stop serving God? No. And neither should we, no matter how the persecution comes. It's also interesting. You remember Stephen? When they stoned him, what was one of the last things he did for those people? He prayed for them. Jesus on the, on the cross prayed for those who were crucifying him. So number one, true believers, faithful believers, will overcome persecution. Number two, faithful believers overcome false teaching. Anybody want to volunteer to read Revelation 2 verse 2? Okay, thank you, Cheryl. That's the church at Ephesus. How about chapter 2, verse 14 through 16? (coughs) Excuse me. That's the church at Pergamon, Revelation chapter 2, verse Go down to verse 24, please. Thank you, Cheryl. <clears throat> and again, that's the church at Fire Tyrant. Uh, interesting to me that, and, and I don't know why it was even, I would even think otherwise. How many know Jesus knows what's going on in the churches? He did then, he does now. But it's interesting, one of the uh, things the churches always faced with, even in that day, was false teaching. Now, there are false teachers then, there's false teachers now. Uh, Paul would write to Timothy and warn him about it. Uh, in Second Peter, Peter warns about false teaching. In Jude's uh, epistle, he warns uh, about uh, false teaching. Now, the good thing is the church at Ephesus was diligent. Uh, they were uh, all about testing those who uh, claimed to be prophets. Uh, they, they were uh, recognized and known for opposing uh, false teaching. But the problem of the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira uh, had difficulty keeping and, and maintaining, if you will, uh, a pure faith. And the sad thing is, those two churches, 
uh, we're allowing things to go on being taught in the church that should not be taught in the church. Now, again, uh, a lot of it involves some kind of immorality, uh, idolatry, uh, connected with some immoral behavior. Uh, and the sad thing is it shouldn't be going on in the church. Now, by the way, uh, Paul would write to the church of Corinth and he would say a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. What does he mean by that? Say it again now. Absolutely. Some people, what's it hurt? Folks, we cannot tolerate false teaching. Jesus didn't tolerate it. We also, uh, Cheryl, you read a moment ago uh, about the teaching of Balaam. And uh, how many remember Balaam from the Old Testament? Uh, remember the time when the donkey talked to him? Kind of got it. And I'm surprised. It didn't really surprise him at the time. But nonetheless, uh, he was sent to bless Balak, uh, an, an evil king. Of course, God wouldn't let him. But we, we failed to realize uh, Balak did, I'm sorry, Balaam did teach Balak and those, uh, to intermarry with the, with the Jews, the Israelites, and, and to have them commit idolatry. And he did have an, an adverse effect on the nation of Israel. And so Jesus warned, you're tolerating people who teach those kind of things. It doesn't really matter, but the fact is it does matter. So again, uh, don't get involved in sexual immorality. Don't get involved in idolatry. No matter who teaches this right, it's simply not right according to the word of God. <clears throat> but he also mentions the Nicolaitans. And we, uh, all we know about it, what we read in Revelation, we have no idea who they are. Uh, there's a lot of speculation out there about who they might be, uh, but that's exactly what it is. The Bible doesn't really say who it is, but we know this. <clears throat> Jesus, I, I hate their, t- I hate their deeds. So whatever they were teaching was going against the Word of God. And then, Cheryl, you read a moment ago, uh, Jesus mentions Jezebel. Who do you think about when you hear that name? Yeah, Jezebel and Ahab. Now, again, this certainly wasn't her, but this, 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 uh, now again, whether that was her literal name or that's how that marked her lifestyle, we don't know. But either way, they, they tolerated <clears throat> to some degree her teaching. And, uh, you know, God said, look, <clears throat> what you're letting go on should not be named in the church. So my question is, is Christ happy with that? Not at all. And that's exactly why he calls their hand. Now, again, we're not sure who the Nicolaitans were, uh, but whoever it was, whoever it was, uh, Christ did not like, and he said they're not to affirm that kind of teaching. They're to get rid of it from uh, within the church. Now, again, please notice, and you see this not only in the New Testament, you see it in the Old there is a uh, sort of a strange connection between idolatry and sexual immorality. And so, you know, the, the Bible often speaks in the Old Testament, uh, idolatry as spiritual adultery, not being faithful to God. And more than anything else, God wants us, individuals of the church, His people, anytime, anywhere, to be faithful to Him. He wants us to be pure 
in our uh, relationship with him, but he also wants us to be pure in our relationship with each other. And so that was, you know, that's uh, what was going on there at Thyatira was not pleasing to God. Now, by the way, we've been preaching for several weeks now, but what type of immoral sexual behavior is okay with God? None. Don't, you know, give whatever name you want. Make it a part of religion if you want. It's simply not acceptable to God. And by the way, I realize especially in our world today, and it may have been true then, whenever we preach the truth of God's Word about His standards, we're considered sometimes as speaking hateful. But my friend, if we don't tell people the truth, if we allow them to continue in the way they're going without warning them, that's not speaking in love. If you love somebody, you do what? You warn them of the danger. You warn them of the perils of what's going to happen if they continue that kind of lifestyle. Now, again, uh, you know, we know this to be true, but God is the one who designed marriage. And so, and he designed it for the welfare of the uh, human race. And guess what his marriage design is? Say it again, Dan. One man, one woman. I'm glad you put it just that way. Any other type of intimate relationship, it is sin in the eyes of God. And so, of course, Christ is calling uh, their hand at that. Now, by the way, how many sins does it take to make a sinner? Just one. Uh, does God promote holiness? Yes. Does he expect his people to be holy? Yes. And so again, Christ speaking, John's writing, he warns those who would tolerate false teaching are those who would embrace simple behavior in the church. That being said, I wonder what Jesus would say to the church today. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? So application again is simple. Reject false teaching. Live according to the word of God. So is there false teaching out there today? We know that, right? What is the best way to overcome false teaching? To not be caught up in it. What's the best way? Say it again. Absolutely know what the Word of God says about that. And suppose the Word of God says whatever, thus and so, but the world says, no, this. Whatever the Bible says, we've got to use the Word of God. So what are some of the false teachings we hear today in the church? Yeah. If it feels good, do it, right? How many of that's not biblical? Not at all. All right, number one, 
Faithful believers overcome persecution. Number two, faithful believers overcome false teaching. Number three, faithful believers overcome temptation. Revelation 2, 4. Anybody want to read that, please? That's the church at Ephesus, okay? Chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Okay, so that's the church at Sardis. Chapter 3, verse 15 through 18, the church at Laodicea. Wow. Now again, we're talking about overcoming temptation. And certainly they were tempted with immorality, idolatry. Everybody looks at that. But it's interesting. One of the church's least ridiculed, I shouldn't say ridiculed, but called to, to, to at hand was the church at Ephesus. But the problem was, he said, you've left your first love. Now, they were adamant about sound doctrine, which is important. And as much as we emphasize knowing God's Word, and we ought to, the most important thing is our relation with God. Hands down. Hands down. And so the church at Ephesus had, in some ways, given in to the thought pattern of substituting good biblical doctrine in place of a heart relation with God and with Jesus Christ. Now, Sardis, uh, Jesus said, you've got a name, it's alive, but what? You're dead. Now, they had a reputation in the past. And so Sardis was living in the past. And they were tempted uh, to live in the past. But sadly, Laodicea, not one good thing is said about the church of Laodicea. And, in fact, they had fallen into believing they were really self-sufficient. Their attitude was, we don't need anything. But what was the truth? They needed everything. They needed everything. Now, by the way, Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, you're lukewarm. 
And guess what lukewarm people do to Jesus? They make him sick. He said, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And then he encourages them to, to buy the things they need. You think you're rich, but you're poor. And by the way, Laodicea was known for some type of eye salve they manufactured. And I'm, I'm not sure what it did for your eyes. But Jesus said, get some eye salve for your own eyes that you might see the truth. Now again, those at Ephesus, without a doubt, pure in doctrine. But evidently their love for Christ had taken a hit. It wasn't what it used to be. Now remember, doctrine is certainly important. But Jesus always wants more from our lives. He wants our heart felt relationship with him. Church at Sardis was living in the past. What's wrong with that? It's gone. It is gone. We need to live for today. So Jesus says, wake up. Wake up. Recognize where you're at. And remember what I've called you to do and repent. Come back to me. Now, the church of Laodicea. Now, by the way, uh, is the church a social club? No, it's more than that. It is more than that. God has called us to spread the gospel. We're to be, be, be about the Father's business. And Laodicea is the only church in Revelation that's not commended. Now, here's the, the, the church later to see them. I mean, they really didn't think they needed anything. But what's the problem when we rely on our own strength? We fail how often? All the time. We fail all the time. Now, evidently, materially, the church at Laodicea was wealthy. So Jesus says, you think you're wealthy, but guess what? You're poor. Back in Matthew, Jesus warned of how deceitful riches can be. They are very, very, very deceitful. But here's what's interesting. Cheryl, you read it a moment ago. In verse 20, chapter 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. How often have you heard that used to winning sinners to Christ? But who was Jesus speaking to here? The church. What a sad day when Jesus has to stand at the door of the church and knock and say, Let me in. How much time I got left, Jason? How much? Oh, good. But you know what's interesting? You've probably seen the painting of this before, haven't you, of a picture of that, of sitting on that door knob? You ever notice real close there's no knob on the outside? So if he gets there, what's going to happen? We can let him in. We have to let him in.
And Jesus said, if you'll just let me in. He's speaking to the church of Laodicea, but it's true today. If you'll just let me in, I will dine with anybody who's willing to come to the table with me. Wow! What an imitation and what a promise. And folks, that is the kind of fellowship Jesus wants to have with his church. Come and dine. Amen? Come and dine. We don't have hardly enough time, but I'd like for you to go home later on this afternoon or sometime this week and look at the promises that God gives to them that overcome. I mean, what a wonderful promise we have. Uh, The tree of life, not being hurt by the second death, and the list goes on and on and on. But all of those are for those who overcome. Remember, Christ is speaking to the church, to the pastor of the church, but also to the individuals. And those who overcome will indeed receive a crown of life. So I apply it. We need to make sure we take practical steps. Practical steps to avoid and overcome temptation. Let's all stand together. Next week, Our topic is going to be the one who is worthy, Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the precious promises we have. And God, help us, Lord, to overcome false teaching, to overcome persecution, and Lord, to overcome temptation. We'll give you the glory for that. We praise you in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. God bless each one of you.